We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, welcome to True Faith Weekly Podcast. I'm Alex Hurst, joined this week uh, by Richie Smith, True Faith Editor McMartin, and special guests uh, Craig Hope of the Daily Mail. Hello, lads. Thanks Hello. for joining. Uh, Craig, you are... Newcastle United or Northeast correspondent for the Daily Mail. Would you like to tell us a little bit about your your role in, in journalism? Yeah, I'm the Northeast football correspondent for the Daily Mail. So basically, that entails on a uh, on a daily basis covering the uh, the fortune and misfortune of uh, Newcastle United, Sunderland, uh, and Middlesbrough, and a little bit since uh, Newcastle's relegation and Hull's promotion. Uh, now they've fallen uh, under my care. So in terms of uh, in terms of pre-season, uh, a period which is usually fairly quiet and settled, the time to get away uh, with the family on holiday. I've had one manager leave for England, another manager quit. Uh, for, for once, Newcastle United has been a, a picture of stability and tranquility. How long that will last, uh, we don't know. But yes, basically my role is uh, digging the dirt and reporting on the North East Football Clubs, which, which are a little funny, funny on this subject. Uh, my wife said to me the other day, she said, what are your colleagues doing this summer? Uh, well, I've got the majority of my colleagues are around the country are away in Australia, they're away in America, they're away in China, covering Manchester United uh, and all the rest of it. And the North East is one of the few remaining patches where we have patch men who aren't covering teams who play in Europe or the Champions League or do these big global tours. And she said, well, well, that's a bit rubbish, isn't it? You, know, you, know, you must have a really bad patch. I said, you say that, and on the, on the face of it is, but during the course of a season, I bet you have got as many back pages as those guys because the North East is absolutely and utterly bonkers and gets itself into the news pages for all the wrong reasons. From my perspective, that's absolutely wonderful and long may it continue. But yeah, events off the pitch as opposed to on the pitch have probably dominated too much in recent years. I think um, you had a bit of an infamous... Yeah. Uh, I don't know what you call it, incident last season. Do you want to talk us a little bit through that? Because that was a kind of moment where, I don't know, as a fan, you kind of felt, well, thank you know, about time someone yeah. from the press side, because it's always frustrating as a fan, you think, oh, Richie, you, you, you actually had to ring up and speak to Steve McLaren about this and the phone in yourself to say, why don't we, like, what, score or defend why, corners yeah, very why, well? Why so bad at set pieces? Are you going to, you are you, gonna, are you looking for a specialist set piece taker and you get yeah. kind of woolly answers back and you, you, know, you haven't really got a chance to sort of yeah so we, we often think oh, why, why aren't these guys asking the questions but I think that was the first time where it was publicised anyway where someone said to Steve McLaren Steve are you shit like, basically <laughs> or your team not very good listen I'll take you back to this, this has been brewing up for a long time this wasn't just a, a one off day where, where I flipped I didn't really flip I thought listened to a back and I thought I kept my cool 
and I was pleased and I, I wouldn't take back the word I said definitely not, but this was building up for a year going back to when he first came in and the whole non-unveiling which was an absolute farce I mean a manager is never more powerful than the day they're installed at a football club I've just been there today with David Moyes. David Moyes can say whatever he wants in the tomorrow's newspaper. It will be reported with a positive slant. We're very kind. We're very forgiving. Everything's good. Everything is looking forward. You've got no baggage whatsoever on day one. Now, Steve McLaren came in and ch I use the word chose perhaps didn't fight against foregoing that. He had a, a, a non-unveiling whereby he was smuggled in a back entrance and his chauffeur-driven Audi and did an interview with the club's preferred media partners. Straight away, that not only one got our back up, two made us the enemy, if you treat us like the enemy, we'll behave like the enemy, but three, I just thought, well, well, has this guy got any backbone whatsoever? If that was me, if that was any other manager, you'd say, right, this is the way it's going to be. We've made mistakes in the past. I'm in charge. It's my way or the highway. So from day one, I had reservations about him. Then we eventually got to sit down with him. I remember the day up at the, uh, up at the training ground in Benton. And I sat opposite him like I'm sat opposite you now. And I'll be, I'll, honestly, I'll be brutally honest. I just thought this guy's just not believable. He wasn't believable as a football manager, as a, as a human being. Is that being harsh? I don't know. But there was just something so fake about him. He had so many levels. I just thought, I, I come away from that day, I thought, who is the real Steve McLaren? These fake laughs, these inappropriate hand gestures and mouthing and the, just everything about him I, I didn't like. Now, I'm a journalist. It's, it's not my job really to make sort of snap judgments like that. I just thought, okay, give the guy the benefit of the doubt. I'll just report it as I see it, as it goes on. And the more and more we went on, the more and more I was exposed to the guy, the less I, I I was convinced by him. I just thought, you're not a Premier League football manager. You're not a manager who was good enough for Newcastle United. Now, I had a, a stand-up row with, with uh, a, a colleague who, who I'll not name, was a great journalist from the North East, and he thought I was being premature in, in making this judgment to Steve. I said, no, I said, listen, I said, honestly, I, I feel like I'm banging my head against a brick wall here. This guy just isn't good enough. And as you probably realise from, from last season, the different stories I wrote, I've got good contacts within Newcastle United. I speak to a to a lot of people there through a, a guy who's lived in the city for the best part of 30 years and, and been exposed to the football club, supported it, lived it, breathed it, all the rest of it. And people were saying to me, this guy's just not good enough, he really isn't. It wasn't that he ever lost the players, he never had the players to lose. This dragged on and on and there, there was negative stories getting in the press and, and people were leaking stories to me and not, none of them were good news, they were, they were, they were all bad. it was all bad news. Little different tales from players just not respecting Steve, not turning up to to, to team meetings when they should do, going home when they went to have a one-on-one -on -one with the manager. Just this whole picture built of just lawlessness and chaos behind the scenes and no respect for the manager and the man you should have utmost respect for. So anyway, as the season went on, the club thought I was a bit of a problem. I was being, quote, aggressive and negative. And I was banned for a period because of that. Uh, and I said to them, felt this, I said, listen, I'm not being negative or aggressive. I'm an independent journalist. And I'm paid to, to report stories which are given to me. If these stories are negative, don't have a go at me. Get your own house in order. Get your own ship in order first. So this went on and on and on. And it came to a head uh, the week of the Bournemouth game, the home game, which I think was mid-March, wasn't it? And I had a story uh, from within the camp, back page exclusive on the Daily Mail. These players can't believe this guy is still in charge, talking amongst themselves. It was back page on the Friday. And within that was a lot of detail about French players going off and doing their own training sessions. Uh, just little, little, a lot of little detail there in there which, which uh, had come from within the camp. Now we turned up at the press conference on the Friday afternoon uh, and Steve had uh, prepped Sky uh, Sports News to ask a question uh, regarding my, my back page story. 
Steve went off into uh, an answer in which he attacked me uh, in front of the live television cameras and questioned my agenda and my motives behind writing that story. Notice my motives for writing that story were nothing other than it was true that a manager who wasn't performing very well and was under pressure and was about to be sacked if he, if he lost against Bournemouth. I stand by that story this day 100%. Steve didn't like it. That's his prerogative. But what he shouldn't have done was, was say what he said on camera and question my agenda. I responded by pointing out to him that agenda and opinion are two different things. I wasn't walking around with some uh, some sort of premeditated hatred of Steve McLaren, not whatsoever. I had an opinion that he wasn't good enough. And I told him that face to face. So anyway, cameras, uh, the interview stopped. I'd waited my time. I was sat at the back of the room. A colleague has since said it was the most furious he's ever seen anyone in his entire life. Uh, I got up and just pointed out to Steve. I said, listen, uh, I'm not, you've probably all read the transcript. I'm not the problem, Steve. You're the problem, not me. Your second bottom, don't go blaming a journalist. I thought it would end there and, and that would be it. He might come back at me or the whole thing would diffuse, but he didn't say a word. He just sort of grinned in my face. So I, I kind of grew in confidence and thought, you know what, I can carry on here. So it went on, went on a little bit more, reminded him that he was second bottom, that you cannot blame a journalist. Said that he's been out of his depth since the minute he walked in, probably went a little bit too far. Uh, with that comment, Steve walked away down the corridor. I then said something about his grin, which, if any of it, I regret. I probably reg regret that part. Uh, but yeah, he just walked away smiling at me. And I would have respected him more if he just stood there and come back at me and, and backed up what he'd said live on, on camera. I thought, this just this isn't good enough. It's not the, the actions of an incarcerated manager. So, anyway, this has never been reported since, but we went away and we had half an hour in a dressing room together. We had a few home truths. Uh, voices were raised a little bit, and Steve come back to me. I, I had a go at him. And, and what have you. Uh, then we arrived at the, the game on the Saturday against Bournemouth and the players released this bizarre statement before the game, which, which they later denied having any knowledge of. And listen, I, I think with 99% certainty I know where that statement came from. It certainly didn't come from the players. Again, that questioned my credibility as a journalist, which was absolute rubbish. Uh, and the players went out and performed in a protest performance against the manager. They didn't want him there. And that was absolutely obvious come 90 minutes. By the Monday, they had a meeting in York. Uh, it was decided that Steve was no longer going to be the manager. They kept him in situ for five days. In Obviously, all this time they were talking to Rafa Benitez and Rafa Benitez was installed on the Friday and Steve was sacked and the, the rest is history. So that, in a nutshell, in, well, I say in a nutshell, in this five or six minute <laughs> nutshell, is the, the story behind the, the bust up with Steve. Was it, uh, was it frustrating for you um, during that period that the problems of brewing, you were going to the press conferences every week, hearing the same stuff about we're turning the corner and all this kind of stuff, um, and the feeling that that decision, all the behind-the-scenes things of you know, get you off Bournemouth, uh, and that's that's it. How that could have been done weeks beforehand. Uh, the the match against Chelsea, I think, was the the tipping yeah. point for for me. Yeah. So was it was it kind of like you feel like you were just turned up and just bracing mm. yourself for just the same old you know the same old shit, having to put up with like, the, the same vanilla uh, answers again and again. Well, that was the case from from really early on in the season. If you think. Uh, Steve asked for judgment when he first came in after eight games, I think it was. So then we delayed it to eight games, then he asked for ten games, then he asked for then he asked till Christmas, then he asked till the end of the season. And the guy just wouldn't front up to his failures and shortcomings as manager of Newcastle United. The day for me was uh, December twenty eighth, the defeat at West Bromwich Albion. 
in this it was he come out afterwards and he said we deserved to win that game no you didn't uh, the fans were cheering us at the end no they weren't they were booing uh, and it was just uh, 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 five or six statements in a row in none of them were true I just thought what the, hell, like, what the hell is going on here that this guy's been allowed to continue in charge of the United Football Club and it was on the eve of the transfer window I wrote that day December 29th the following day I wrote an article this is a football club sleepwalking towards the championship they, they will wake up in the second tier relegated and so Mike Ashley has a decision to make now he's got to sack this man and give somebody else money £30 million going at the January window the reason Newcastle United were relegated was because Steve McLaren stayed in charge for January. Make absolutely no doubt about that. You had someone, you had a manager in charge. I see spending the money. He was, he was there. He was privy to it all. Uh, and you had another, what was it, six or seven games, I think, before before the middle of March, before he went by, which point they picked up four or five points. Uh, and that was the reason. They didn't get rid of him at the end of December, for me, why they, why they were relegated to the championship. But going back to your, your question, question, Rich, yeah, you were turning up and you were here in the same rubbish week on week you really were uh, it was just insert key buzzword X here be it positivity be it momentum be it consistency it was just a different word every week and we all grew tired of it very very quickly quite how the powers that be didn't see through this sooner really is a, a mystery to me and Steve McLaren staying in charge until March is the reason you have about relegated so turning on to more positive news hopefully um <laughs> How have or what difference have you noticed in Benitez's press conferences and the general way he um, handles himself mm. compared to his predecessor, if indeed there is one? Uh, listen, look, I said this to the club as well when the, the, the club weren't too happy with a lot of the stories I was, was writing in the mail last season. As soon as Rafa Benitez took over, those stories stopped. Now, that wasn't because I suddenly had respect for Rafa Benitez and I was like, oh no, I'm getting bad news stories, I won't write them. They stopped coming to me because there was no bad news stories from being leaked from the dressing room and from, the, uh, from within the training grounds. Because Rafa come in and he, 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 he ran a tight ship uh, and the players and the staff and everybody respected him. That wasn't the case with Steve, it's pretty simple. Uh, so yeah, he, he's come in. He's, uh, the key thing with Rafa is He's got the control Steve never had. This football club has needed a manager for so long and has been allowed to manage, and that is manage the media, manage the players, manage the medical staff, manage transfers, just manage, do what a manager should do, manage the football club from top to bottom. And whether Rafa Benitez goes on to be a good manager or a bad manager, only time will tell. But the key is, he's allowed to do what he should be allowed to do. The last three or four managers, going back to Chris Hutton, Pardew, Carver and McLaren, have not had that level of control. So in that respect, Newcastle certainly have the best chance of achieving, given that they have got, for me, what, what is a, a, a manager beyond their wildest dreams. I mean, this is a guy 12 months ago who was in charge of Real Madrid, and, and you sit down with him, Alex, and he's, he's believable. Whereas Steve McLaren wasn't convincing, this guy is convincing. You sit there, you believe in what he's saying, uh, he's got that experience, he's got that authority. And if I'm sat there thinking that as a journalist, well, I'm damn sure players are sit, sitting there thinking that as well. And that is the key thing. As a manager, you can buy who you want, you can say what you want, you can do what you want. The key job is to get the players to like you. And I think, and I'm hearing that the players do like Rafa Benitez, and that gives Newcastle its best chance going forward. It's good to hear. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the, we obviously would talk about football a lot doing a podcast, as, as most Newcastle fans do. And, you know, talk to kind of you've you've nailed the, a lot on the people that run the club and the manager mm. for last season's demise. Newcastle's turnaround was so absolute under Rafa. By the end, it took him a little bit of time to get going. 
it may does question the players quite a lot. Mm. Well, I mean, when you look at uh, Musa Sissoko on his way off by all accounts, yeah, being yeah. A, a perfect example of my critics on, on social media because I think he's Newcastle's best player. doesn't mean that he hasn't be, uh, either played or behaved disgracefully. Yeah. It's just under Rafa Benitez, it was almost like seeing it was the player we saw for 60 minutes against Chelsea in yeah. 2013. So for Rafa Benitez to be able to pull that out of a, a bloke like that in such a short space mm. of time suggests that he's something special. But then, in your opinion, knowing some of the players and or, or at least having access to that we don't, do you think that um, you know a lot of last season's relegation and subsequent problems lies at their door? Maybe simply not trying. I think is the accusation a lot of Newcastle mm. fans would put at them. And, and, and what do you think? You say Benitez is believable. What do you think it is about Benitez that managed to pull out performances out of the likes of Musa Sissoko, Czech Toyota became fit for the first time yeah, in yeah. two yeah. years all of a sudden. Do you think, is, is there something specific Rafa did? Or is it simply just these players are questionable of character? You know what, this might sound quite cutting, but Rafa Benitez's biggest strength was he wasn't Steve McLaren. <laughs> Steve McLaren, you, you could see you could have brought anybody in. Those players just did not respect Steve McLaren. I, I, I don't know how many ways I can, different ways I can dress this up, but it was just it was just lawlessness. It, it really was. There was just no respect uh, for, for the manager, the one person you're going out and playing for. And you mentioned there, you know, the players perhaps should have had more more pride in themselves and in the black and white shirt and the, the supporters were paying their wages and all the rest of it. But at the end of the day, if you've got a manager you don't like and don't really respect, it probably does get inside your head. And that that that, that much was evident. And when Rafa came in. I think it was just a case, it's a simple word, respect. They liked him, uh, and they were just happy that it was someone else, somebody somebody different to listen to. And they finished the season seven games unbeaten, don't forget. Now, I know in the end it wasn't quite good enough, but you can't lay any of the blame for that at Rafa Benitez, though. He started getting the tune out of players who, as you say, Czech Teote, Musa Sissoko, who hadn't lifted a leg for the best part of six months. He realised, he, he very quickly made a judgement on, on players who, who weren't doing it. Genie Wijnaldum, I mean, a player who was just signed for Liverpool for £25 million. It took Rafa Benitez two games to work him out, but he was a ghost, absolute ghost of a player. And he wasn't somebody who was suited to a relegation battle. He dropped him for key games against Man City and Liverpool. In the end, they got two unexpected and two very valiant and, and, and valuable points. So, yeah, he was just more... How, how do I put this? Rafa was just far more believable and if I'm sat there thinking that and then players almost certainly sat there thinking that too and that was the that was the key to he was a proper manager not somebody who, who didn't know what he was or who he was basically uh, and I think going into the in the next season like you mentioned someone like Musa Sissoko he's almost certainly certainly going to go definitely is he Newcastle's best player well well, on, he, on his day he probably is in terms of a guy who can impact on a football match and take the ball from A to B he's almost like a, a force of nature type played in the right position with the, the right motivation but he does need that care that motivation that management and Rafa certainly put that into him in the, the back end of last season and that just showed what a, what a top level manager is that a player who then would subsequently go on to be the best player in a European Cup final two months later? Only Rafa Benitez could get that out of him last season. Yeah. So moving on to the season ahead, uh, are you confident as a fan and a journalist uh, that Newcastle will not maybe walk the league but, but secure the much needed promotion? And is it as vital as people say that we'll get promoted financially? Yeah, it is. It's absolutely imperative to go up the first time because. Forget financial reasons. If you don't go up first time, you probably lose Rafa Benitez. And Rafa Benitez is Newcastle United's best chance of success over a sustained period in the future. Do I think they'll go up? Absolutely. Uh, I've been convinced by this guy. I think his investment has been shrewd. And, and don't forget, they're about, what is it, five or six million pounds in profit so far. So in terms of, in terms of balancing the books, they're still in a fairly 
uh, rude position financially, financially yet. If you look at it, the players out and the players in, I'd probably say Newcastle are stronger in terms of getting rid of bad characters, players who you probably don't want to be at the club, and buying those who... Now, now let's be honest, if you'd signed Dwight Gale and you're still in the Premier League, you might not be that excited, you might think, that's not quite good enough where we want to be. But Dwight Gale is, what is he, 23, 24, given a year in the Championship, a year of Rafa's guidance, a year of a bucket load of goals, say 20, 25 plus, and that momentum going into the, into the Premier League next season, Dwight Gale could be a completely different player who we'd seen, what would it then be, would then be two years previous, at Crystal Palace going into the Premier League next year. The same with someone like Matt Ritchie. A year in the Championship, under Rafa, full of confidence, 50,000, bit of a cult hero. Look what it did to Andy Carroll. Look what it did to Jose Enrique. Look what it did to Fabrizio Colaccini. There are players at our football club now who I think will benefit from a year in the Championship, winning week in, week out, building the camaraderie, building confidence, improving their actual technical ability under the guidance of Rafa. And I think Newcastle will come back a hell of a lot stronger in 12 months' time. I'm honestly convinced of that. Just one question I've got on relation to uh, the whole aspect of uh, recruitment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know whether this is a, a, a genuine cultural change or big change in how the club's being run at the minute, but... Um, this se- this season, this summer, more so than any other years I've known in a long time, um, a lot of the inside info about p- players who Newcastle are after and transfers just seems to have been a lot. You know, j- journalists just seem to have a lot less information about that. Like last last I remember last summer, you know, Wijnaldum was reported for weeks before we got him, and Bemba, yeah, like Mitrovic was was well reported like months before. It, but, but, yeah. Where the, I mean, example being the army this morning uh, just came yeah. sort of comes out the blue. You know, there's been no, and, and is is it the club that are like locking this kind of thing down more? Is you know what 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 do you see as being like the reasons of like why that's? Well, well for, for, from my perspective as a national journalist, Newcastle are now in the championship. Uh, I've also been away at the Euros covering that. I've been away in, in France with Sunderland as well. And I've had a few weeks off, so because Newcastle is a championship club, from my perspective. There's no longer the, uh, the pressure and the demand to chase Newcastle transfer stories as there was 12 months ago. So speaking from my own personal perspective, I'm not chasing those stories as hard as I was a year ago, purely because where they are in the, in the league. But if you have noticed, these transfer stories are appearing in the local press almost 24 hours, 48 hours before these deals are done. Now, I think the reason is that Newcastle are engaging more uh, with the local press, and I think they're giving them uh, more of a steer. And also because Newcastle are no longer now uh, the sort of the, the little fish competing with, with bigger clubs uh, for these sort of players. They're the, they're the big fish. They're going for Grand Hanley of Blackburn, Moji Army of Hull, even though they're in the Premier League. And I think they're quite happy just to let it be known 24, 48 hours before that they're in for these players, that there's plans to seed in the mind of the player and the mind of supporters. It then encourages Newcastle fans to go and follow them on Twitter and they'll be, come on, Grand Handy, come and sign for us, or Moji Army, or, 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 or Dwight Gale, or Matt Ritchie, whoever else it is. So I think you're seeing things reported far closer uh, to, to, to the actual sign, and those are being, uh, I think those stories are being uh, given to the club by the local press, which is always good, which is the way it should be. You should be helping your local press out and keeping them on site. And at the end of the day, they are good news stories. Uh, from a national perspective, I don't think those guys on the, the national beat have got as much pressure to, to turn over these stones. And there really are only so many times a day you can phone agents and try this and try that and do different things. If you really want to dig up these transfer stories, you can, but it's a, a lot of work and a, a lot of effort, and it is good to get them. And you always want to be first with news, always. 
but with Newcastle being the championship club probably is the best answer I can give you there's just not that immediate demand to dig up those stories yeah. oh, very interesting um, from your point of view I'd, you're with the mill is, is there any kind of advantage to being with a big national like that compared to the local lads or do you think the local lads have more of a relationship with the, or non-relationship as years yeah. gone by but do you, is, is, some, is a paper like the Daily Mail do they have a good relationship with Newcastle or, or does it not really work like that uh, for, for, for you should say that but I think there's go back 12, 12 months ago uh, and I, I don't mind saying this I don't think Newcastle United uh, the hierarchy Lee Charney uh, Mike Ashley appreciated the value in having a relationship with us national guys listen I'm going to say this because I'm a national journalist but it is important listen, I work for the Daily Mail it's the, the sports newspaper the air. I work for Mail Online the biggest website in the world we, we've got an impact of course we have it, it's stupid to think otherwise and if you play the, the game with us, we, we won't be proud that we won't put out the club. We won't put the club message out there. But if we're all human beings. If if you're kind to us and if you're nice to us, there'll be a little bit of favour in return. Now, last season, Newcastle United had absolutely zero goodwill with the national press. They certainly had zero goodwill with me because they signed an unprecedented deal with one of my competitors, whereby they got everything first in terms of exclusive interviews and tip-offs on news and everything. That just made me dig a little harder for stories. And if those were bad news stories, great. Well, hey, brilliant. All the better. Uh, because they were treating me like the enemy, I, I, I behaved like the enemy. But this summer, uh, Lee Charnley and, and Wendy Taylor, the press officer there, uh, they have made a, a concerted effort to build bridges with the national press, certainly. And that can only be good for Newcastle, it really can. You've got to play the game, you've got to realise we're all part of it. It's one big bloody circus, it really is. But if you try and keep people inside and onside, then it can only be the advantage, definitely. But ladies and gentlemen, if a story came up which I deemed to be bad news about Newcastle, I had absolutely no qualms about running it, certainly, but they've got a little bit more goodwill in the bank now, put it that way, and that's purely because they're making a bit more effort. There's food back on in the press box, which might sound small, but not have food in the press box is antagonistic, needlessly antagonistic, uh, and they just created this needless, toxic atmosphere of uh, towards the press last year and they, they, they got it back in spades basically it wasn't only myself it was the times it was the sun it was the star it was everyone in the end which was going at them and they just thought you know what enough's enough maybe we have got our media policy wrong and that is one thing they're looking to rectify and credit to them let's see how it plays out this season I think what you said earlier about the infamous press yeah. uh, kind of incident that you had with uh, Steve McLaren I think I mean, I'm like everybody else. I never thought he should have been the manager in Newcastle. Um, if you get sacked in the in the division lower, then you've been appointed to. There's a and you've lost so many jobs previously. You, you hugely have a credibility problem with supporters and players, mm. etc. But uh, I think when I saw when I saw the, the you know the pictures of you kind of chasing them down the the <laughs> corridor, I just thought that's the nail in the coffin. That like because yeah. no credible top level manager. Is going to put up with put up with that, you know, or or being it put themselves in a position where that could potentially happen. Mm. It, tactically, it wasn't very clever, so I don't know who was advising him. Mm. But the other the other element was his gravitas. He obviously had none, mm. and 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 I just think could you have, could you have imagined a journalist berating a Bobby Robson in that mm. way, or a Kevin Keegan, or a um, even a Kenny Dalglish or a Rude Hullet mm. for that for that matter could you have imagined that and for me I just thought that is a man with with no respect whatsoever so kind of all the stories you've heard about kind of the lack of medical care and players going off and doing their own warm downs I 
hadn't realised that was happening, but fits with everything, other pieces of the jigsaw that you mm. get. It's just, it's just an appalling. But let's be honest, the likes of McLaren and Pardew and Carver and blah blah blah, they were, they were a symptom, not not the cause of the problem. They were a symptom of how the club was to be run. For me, the big trick is what Benitez has done with Ashley. Mm. So Ash, Ashley runs the club. Lee Charney doesn't run the club. He, you know, he's a, a tea lad. Um, and, but so what's what's happened is is Ashley has been completely spellbound by Rafa Benitez as much as we have, it mm. seems, because he's given him carte blanche to do everything. But what I'm hoping is is that Benitez is there for 10 years, you know, plus, mm. and that he does everything that um, Craig and others have said that tonight, and that he's there and he builds this dynasty, you know, so that... And what, how far the dynasty can go in the modern game when you've got Man City with untold riches and Chelsea... Etc. Etc. Et doing what they do in Champions League money, etc. Who knows? But if we can be the best club that we can be, I think you're right. The Benitez thing could work for us, and I like the way I like the way he's looking after the club money as well. Hmm. You know, there's a bit of the Wenger about him in in that regard. You know, not waste, not squandering money. I like how they're um, they're getting the players in before they sell them and those small things. And if I kind of have a small point of disagreement with Craig it's about the store, the about the transfers etc I think Newcastle are doing their business better this year um, regardless of the players they're signing regardless of what shop they're going to to sign them the business is being conducted by Rafa Benitez not by a committee and it looks like one man is in charge of it and saying he's the player I want get him do it I want it done by this etc it seems to be far more fo- far more focused far more and the execution of it seems to be much better um, take your point maybe the media isn't looking as much at Newcastle as it was last year however I'm not sure I agree with that either I think we're a bigger deal this year than we were last year regardless of the division we're in it just seems to me the club is behaving more professionally and that's all down to Benitez for me the, the one point I was making about the, the signs is I, I, I agree with you I've been impressed with the way they've done the business uh, I commend it uh, they're, they're going after the, crucially they're going after the players that the manager wants uh, the only point I made was and I'll, I'll put this out there to you lads if we were if Newcastle sorry were, were still in the Premier League would you be excited by the signings of Grant Hanley Dwight Gale Isaac Hayden I would argue probably not but I think given a year's momentum in the championship as I said with Rafa's guidance I think they could come back as Premier League ready players in 12 months time I think you're absolutely right and what uh, what you said about um, yeah, ab- about the players that were signed maybe maybe not but we'll maybe be shopping a little bit up, up market and we wouldn't be doing this development stuff that you're mm. correctly identifying but I look at a kind of a player like Gale and um, and I remember back to Craig Bellamy. Mm. So when Craig Bellamy joined Newcastle, there was a sense of com- people being completely underwhelmed yeah, by, yeah. by yeah. when he signed. When he signed, he was I think he just be- no, he'd been relegated with Coventry, and um, and he and he came away and he blamed everybody at Coventry for him, and mm. which was classic Bellamy style. But I, I see that, and and I see these players who, you know, the. Uh, I like the look of Lascelles. He's got a le- leadership mm. thing about him. He he's, he makes the right noises um, about the shirts and playing for the cre- playing for the for the jersey and all, and all that kind of stuff. So I do think they can pull everything together. I am excited about the players they're signing because they're the players we need in the positions where yeah. we've got vacancies, uh, and it seems to be logical and rational. You know, so we're set, we're not signing. 
another defensive midfield player like Xavier and, and why do we sign him I can't work that one out you know Who? Uh, exactly um, so you know you're, you're looking at that and um, and he's using club money well and he's you know when, when I hear the media saying uh, oh he's after a left back and he's after a midfielder and he's after this and he's after another striker that is what is a you know somebody who's watching the club for watch the club for a long time has a reasonable grasp of football when you watch the team playing you say that's what they need mm. that, that's what they need that's rational and that, that goes back to the days of Keegan in particular when Keegan explained what he was doing it just made perfect sense mm. and when, when Benitez does the same it has the same impact yeah. no, I, I, think the, I think the business has been uh, shrewd I mean going back to one guy, the lad Hayden uh, uh, the, the midfielder from Arsenal I saw him play for Hull twice last year and I thought he was outstanding I really did now I can't believe he didn't sort of make the grade at Arsenal and some people have said well if Arsenal will not let you go you can't be that good well they let Benning Kifobi go and within six months the Red Group for what two million within six months he got to ten million so Hayden is one I think what 20 21 year old I think can really kick on and, and improve uh, I certainly hope he starts the season in the, in the middle of midfield ahead of, ahead of Jack Colback uh, it looks like he's probably going to bring in Modi Army as well who, who could, who could slot in there alongside him? Uh, the, goal, the goalkeeper. I don't know what you guys thought about the goalkeeper. Was the one which really raised eyebrows. But then, if you sit and think about it logically, you probably think, well, well, Tim Cruz on his way and is still suffering from injury. Rob Elliott probably isn't going to be good enough for the Premier League in 12 months' time, especially as he's got an injury out in October. Is Darlow good enough? Full stop. Freddie Woodman's only 17. So you've got a chance to get a highly rated goalkeeper in Matt Sells. He's going to be your number one for a year. What the talk saying is the next Simon Minnelli. Simon Minnelli is a good goalkeeper. Why not bring him in? It was a strange one, but then you think, well, maybe Draffa knows more than us after all. Yeah, I think uh, looking at that one was was strange, but I think you look at Kroll, you think, well, why hasn't Kroll been so? I think that was one of the points on the podcast from last week, and I think the fact he's injured, he's not going to be a mm. really attractive proposition at the minute yeah, until yeah. he's over them injury issues. You know, Rob Elliott, I'm... I'm a fan of Rob Elliott in in, in, in general, um, but I think I think the, what it comes down to is Benitez looking and saying, "I'm not going to risk it. I'm not going to risk having mm. two two keepers." Look, look at Newcastle over the past. This this shows that the bloke's knowledge about the club. He would have. I, I don't doubt for one minute he's looked at the past two years and thought this this club's been in a bad position a couple of times on having. In injuries to keepers at once and and, and, and struggling and, and mm-hmm. you know putting putting third fourth keepers and he says I'm not I'm not taking that risk this year. Yeah. Benitez, hopefully, is a little bit like me in many ways, but uh, I think he identifies the fact that Tim Kroll and Rob Elliott are injury prone goalkeepers. Yeah, yeah. Most goalkeepers go throughout their, their career without missing a game. Look at Shea Given. Look at Steve Hartman for years. Tim Kroll hasn't played a full season since 2011. Really, yeah, um, yeah. If you look at Robbie Fowler. Benitez was the one who got into Liverpool. Robbie Fowler was God. He was, and he, he took, he kind of took one look at his lifestyle, one look at his injury record, and got shot straight away. So mm. that's a good example of how he. I think he, he hopefully like us, just sick of injured Newcastle players. I'm bored yeah, yeah. of bored of, of Newcastle players being injured. Yeah. And I think he's probably with the goalkeeping situation. So I've got three three lads here. I mean, even Darlow last year had injury problems, for God's sake. Yeah, yeah. Three lads there where he's thinking, I've got Freddie Woodman on the bench. I'm yeah, not going to yeah. risk it with these lads. The, the, the injury situation is frightening. I mean, I covered a press conference one year. I left with a hamstring strain. <laughs> 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 it's, 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 you walk into that training ground and all, all of a sudden you just think, what, 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 what am I going to leave with here? What's going on? Yeah. It would be interesting to see if we sit, I'd love to sit back down with you guys again in six months' time, nine, nine months' time, whatever, and look at the injury record. Because that is one thing which mm. is really sort of hindered Newcastle United's progress in the past sort of three, four years. It's just, it, it's phenomenal how bad. Mm. The, 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 I mean, put poor Sim Dion 
Well, what's happened here? I know Sim Young's it. Uh, I think I think no matter where Sim Young's playing was it was it Newcastle United or Newcastle Benfield, Sim Young would be injured. But it, it, the, the, the judgment of a player in the first place, in terms of their in, how injury prone they are, and then when you get these guys in. Even players who aren't injury prone suddenly become injury prone. Yeah. It's absolutely phenomenal. It must be infuriating as a supporter. One question that's not quite on topic, but just going back to the recruitment side. Part of the club that I think's been radio silenced this summer is the position of Graham Carr. Mm. Like, like you've just heard nothing about yeah. this this man who has essentially played a director of football role over yeah, the last three years. True. So much power, so much respect from uh, the likes of Ashley and Charlie, and you know. You think all the players that he's been scouting over the past 12 mm. months, none of them will have been any of the ones that we mm. sign, or highly unlikely. Yeah. Uh, do you have any knowledge about what his future is? Anyway, it's it's, you, it's kind of kind of mm. person that you'd think surely you would have if they were going to get shot of him, he would have it would have happened two months ago now. But yeah, w- well, listen, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll let you piece the rest together. I'll tell you what we've reported and what was true and what wasn't true. When Rafa Benitez was due to start at the end of last season, we all reported in the mail and, and, and elsewhere that Graham Carr was set to go. That was true. When Rafa Benitez uh, was confirmed as manager, Graham Carr stayed. Rafa Benitez has since had total control over transfers. So judge of that what you will, there's a little bit of a, a, an impasse there. Graham Carr probably will leave the club in time. But the problem is Graham Carr was given an eight-year contract, what, three years ago? That is probably the stumbling block and that's where we're at now. But I mean, on that basis, why you know, it just seems pointless. Even if you've got a man there on five year, five years left in his contract, add an absolutely no value to your mm. your, your, your club. But I, to give Graham Card the tiniest bit of credit, certainly in Mike Ashley's eyes, they're just about to flog a player for thirty million. It costs one point eight million. So yeah. so they probably think, and even if they come back and Rafa says no, nineteen out of twenty times. You know, they're probably still thinking, well... well yeah, Graham's, Graham Carr's payoff might just come from that profit. There you go. <laughs> the irony of it, the player who he signed. I, th- uh, I, th- I think when we're talking about, like, kind of the value of Graham Carr, he's had some notable flops, hasn't he? Tovan and um, Cabela being two who, as soon as you got a good look at them, you thought, nah, they're not going to work in, Engl- in England. Like. But um, I think it would be uh, it would be foolhardy to say he's adding no value, if you don't mind us saying, Richie. Um, because um, I think he has had a half a decent record at, at Newcastle. His players co- came in: Kabai, Debushi, Tiotti, um, yeah, who've 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 done who've done well for the club. But he has had some some that have that, that have stunk as well. Um, but there's also been players that he's mi- been missed on that the club's been linked. I noticed Gamiro has just gone. You know, we were all summer we were linked with him. You know, and that Obiang, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, uh, yeah, yeah, all those, all those, all those players. So you don't know really 100% how, what value. But if he's there, I was just going to say about recruitment. I was at the game on Saturday, and um, I have a little thing as a joke that readers might know later that I, I want tall, hard, skillful bastards playing for you, playing for <laughs> Newcastle. And I looked at the pitch on Saturday, and there's a lot of tall hard, skillful bastards playing yeah. for us now and if you remember the Liverpool team that he managed, there was a lot of tall, powerful players in that in that team. And I'd just like even from the crappy standard of football that I played, you always like when the goalie kicks the ball out and the ball's got to be won in the midfield. Who was going for it last year for us? Callback and Anita. Mm. Well they were never ever gonna win a, a head out in the now you look at it and you think who's going for that now? Oh it could be Shelby. You know, could be um, could be Hayden, yeah. It could be Lascelles, could be Mitrovic, could be. There's a lot of power. I looked in, the, I looked at that pitch on Saturday. So, 
they're going to be very comfortable if it starts a kicking match at Barnsley on a cold Tuesday night to kind of kind of cliche so I, I, I think with Carl he has been sidelined but I'm not sure whether or not he's done yet or whether or not he works for Rafa Benitez which would be a new development um, because his knowledge I mean I've taken the piss out of him that he only goes where the Eurostar goes yeah, yeah. you know but <laughs> you know um, that was, that's probably tongue in cheek he has got things to offer he has got a very keen knowledge of French and Belgian football and, and Dutch football for that matter it would be foolhardy just to throw him overboard you know in, in his defence uh, I think a lot of the signings you talked about weren't necessarily his first choice his first choice may have been Paye his first choice may have been Lacazette as opposed to Riviera or whatever but my argument is just don't sign bad players you know you know, you, you know, if someone's good or bad you can't get your first choice your second choice don't then go and squander 6 million or 12 million on a player which is clearly not good enough and never going to be good enough I agree I agree I suppose um, that leads me nicely on to, to a last question from what, what, what you were just saying though, don't sign bad players and who signed them if, if, if it wasn't mm. Carr who was it and Michael I think I don't know whether it was you or one of the journalists I spoke to last year said that Pardew turned up first day of training never seen or heard of Riviera yet here he was in front of him yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. has are those days over in terms of long term if, if Benitez is here for five years as fans have you got any insight as a journalist to say it's actually it's all going to be all right because one <laughs> school of thought is this is still Mike Ashley's football club. Yeah, this is this he still calls the shots, and although he clearly has been um, seduced by Benitez, mm. you know what what happens uh, three years time. I know it's a bit negative to think long too long term. I think the key thing is Rafa Benitez because if you start messing Rafa Benitez about and he turns up a train and tomorrow morning all of a sudden there's some unknown player from from League One. He's probably going to pack his bags and, and walk away, certainly. So I think Mike Ashley knows that. I think Rafa Benitez and his people have, have laid that on the line and they've put their terms down there. They've said what they want. They've also crucially said what they don't want. And what they don't want is players being put upon them. That must be infuriating as a manager. And quite how the last four or five at this football club have put up with that, I don't know. And it's, it's certainly been had a destabilising effect. So as long as Rafa's there, you've said, can I say it in your castle fans, everything's going to be all right. I can never, ever say that. Never, ever. And I wouldn't want to. Uh, because a little part of his journalist is always hoping it goes wrong, so it's great. it makes for great copy. But no, in this case, I don't. Uh, I think everything will be okay as long as Rafa's there. He's the key to it all. And you used a good word there, seduced. Mike Ashley was seduced by Rafa, seduced to the point whereby he ceded all of this control, which previously he was absolutely adamant uh, he would have so so yeah listen they're they're in far better it sounds bizarre they're in far better shape in the championship than they are 12 months on from being in the in the premier league definitely uh they've got a a new model to a a degree uh in terms of who's calling the shots they've got a new manager a good manager a proper manager they've got a younger exciting squad they've got rid of some of the mercenaries they've got rid of a, a little bit of the deadwood as well there's still some work to go on that front but listen as we're sat here now on what August the 1st five days away from the start of the new season everything's positive I'm convinced they're going to come back up as champions I think we'll take that momentum with them into the Premier League uh, and listen we'll, we'll sit down in 12 months time on August the 1st and, and see how, uh, how wise or otherwise uh, the past sort of 45 minutes reflections have, uh, have been yeah well brilliant I suppose that uh Nicely rounds it off. Thanks so much, Craig. Appreciate no it. No problem. And um, yeah, well, uh, here's hoping for a successful season. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.